The place for Celtics news. The place for Celtics opinion. The place for Celtics talk. It's Cattles on Causeway. Well, that was fun as shit, wasn't it? That summer league was a lot of fun to watch. Cattles on Causeway with you. You can follow us on Twitter at Causeway Podcast. You can also listen to us at Apple Podcast and SoundCloud. Nick Cattles from ESPN Radio breaking down the Celtics Summer League. And also a a point here that we're going to make is to look forward and maybe ask some questions about this roster as it is currently constituted. I believe most of what we see right now on paper is what we're going to see in October. We'll get to all of that. But let's start off with the Summer League, which, again, it was a lot of fun to watch. I thought guys played hard. They played with force. That was refreshing to see dudes in Celtics jerseys actually play with that kind of force and play hard every single second. Now, this is, of course, the Summer League, and you should expect that. These are guys fighting for roster spots. These are guys trying to impress as rookies. So you would expect them to play hard and play with force, and they did. They also enjoyed themselves. They played together. There was some, as Tommy Heinsohn always loves to say, cohesion. There was some cohesion out on the floor, which isn't always the case when you talk about summer basketball. We did have some funky plays. We had that shit where Aaron Harrison was passing the ball to Robert Williams as he was seated on the floor, and he did it intentionally. It's the first time I've ever seen a teammate pass to another teammate who was sitting on the floor at the time and meant to do it, but that did actually happen. We had some summer league moments, as we call them, some terrible basketball for sure. But overall, a lot of fun. And we also had the legend of Taco Fall. I'll get into Taco in a couple of minutes here. But let's look at some takeaways. And as I mention these players, this is how I would rank their performance at Summer League for the Seas. Let's start off with Carson Edwards. And we always have to have this disclaimer before we get into a Summer League conversation You can take a lot of this with a grain of salt because we've got to remember who these guys were playing against, the circumstances surrounding them, et cetera, et cetera, right? But there are things you can take away from a player's game at Summer League which will make you feel pretty good about them as a player. And there are also weaknesses that you will pick up watching this game, uh, these games, that might make you feel a little less than confident in a player. So we start with Edwards, who I thought was the best player uh, on the Celtics team. It is a crime. Hot take. It's a crime. He did not make uh, an all-summer league team. I don't know how that happened. He was easily one of the better players in this tournament. Instant offense. He gets buckets. And I think I touched on this a little bit on our last podcast, but we saw it in the summer league, and we actually saw a lot of it in the summer league. And I would also say the the one thing that surprised me with Edwards was not that he can get buckets. We all know that he can get buckets. If you watched him at Purdue, if you only watched the game against UVA in the NCAA tournament, it's obvious this guy can score. But what was most important about Edwards and what we found out is if he is surrounded by a better cast, he can score efficiently. And some people were concerned with that. Some people thought that he was a high-volume scorer, a guy who has to jack up a ton of shots to score. That's not necessarily the case if we take what he did in Summer League and we push it forward. You surround him with legit players, and he gets open shots, he's going to make those shots. And that's why I think the Celtics signed him to a deal that is guaranteed. And they did it rather quickly. 
They know what they have in Edwards. Instant offense. He plays with urgency all the time. You know, I heard Brad Stevens say this about him, that he does everything hard. He's just, he has a hard game. Like, he cuts hard. He drives hard. He does everything hard. He does everything with force. And he's a big-time shot maker. He made some shots. And one of the best shots he made didn't even count in the summer league when he was coming down the floor. A foul happened, and he shot right in the face of Brandon Clark about four feet behind the line uh, towards the end of their final game that they lost against Memphis. And he went nothing but the bottom of the bucket. That was a great-looking shot, and it proved that he could get his shot off quick. He can get his shot off of somebody against somebody that is a big against somebody that is athletic. So that was maybe one of his best shots. Another shot he made is a kind of a pirouette into a three on the left side of the wing, which I thought was a lot of fun. He's a shot maker. If there are a couple of problems with his game, he's not a true point. Don't get it twisted. Carson Edwards is not a true point guard. He's a two guard. He's a two guard in a one guard body. But nowadays, does that matter? A lot of two guard offenses play now, right? So I don't think it matters much. I'll get into that a little bit later. He also has an issue scoring in traffic, which was the case in college, scoring at the rim, finishing uh, inside the paint. That's something to look at. Second guy I thought, second best performance of Summer League was Robert Williams. And he should have had a very good performance. This is his second year. He didn't play a ton last year, so you do tip the cap to him in that instance. The best thing about Williams' game in the Summer League, and it should have jumped out to all of you, his passing ability. Talk about his athleticism. We talk about all the fun dunks. We talk about the highlight blocks. His passing ability is excellent. There's one pass where he's in the paint, and he's on the left side of the floor, if you're watching it on TV. And on a dime, he quickly kind of spins And he goes cross-court three right wing to Grant Williams. Hits him right in the hands at the chest. A laser pass, a perfect pass, and not an easy pass for a guy who's six foot eleven. He has that kind of ability. There was another pass he made where he actually had the ball at the free throw line. He drives in, and instead of trying to finish at the rim against two guys, he drives in and he drops it off for an easy layup. These are these are plays made by a big that you don't often see. His passing ability is fantastic. He also rebounded really well. And when you look at the rest of this roster, the C's are going to need guys to rebound. Williams showed that he can grab some rebounds, and he did a great job of that. I think he was eighth in the summer league in rebounding. He made a concerted effort to rebound the basketball, and he showed that he can do some of that. Another thing that you see is maybe the fact that he's growing up a little bit. The maturity might be improving, and the leadership might be improving. It's it's baby steps with Williams. We know there were some questions about that. Dan Dockich asked the question a million times during one of these games and, and brought it up about Williams and whether or not he can figure things out. So that's the biggest question. On the floor, question-wise, still has some trouble finishing around the basket, when he's in traffic, when he's going against big guys who are as equally as athletic, he still has issues with that. I also believe that he still chases blocks. He's got to learn to kind of stay with his guy. 
he gets caught in the trap of trying to go towards the ball and make a block and leave his guy open, he's going to stop chasing blocks. So that was my second best performer. Third, Grant Williams. And the thing that sticks out to me about Grant is his potential from three-point land. One of the biggest questions about Grant was whether or not his jump shot would translate to the NBA. He shot a high volume of threes. He shot about four threes a game in Summer League, and he knocked down about 37%. Now, he might not do that his rookie season in the NBA, but it tells me that he has the range. It tells me that he has the mechanics. So that was very good to see. That was very, very good to see. And he also does all the little things, all the intangibles. He sets the screens. He makes the right pass. He ducks out to the three-point line when it's necessary. All the small things. The other big takeaway about Grant Williams, if you watch the Summer League, he's more a three than a four. In the NBA, he's more a three than a four. There's no doubt about that. If you had delusions of grandeur of him playing some minutes at four slash five when the Celtics go small, never going to happen. Uh, his his length is an issue. His athleticism is not terrific. When he's in amongst the trees, he has a lot of problems finishing. So he's more a three than four. He's going to have to work on his game to adapt to the three more than the four. But I think that's a good thing. He reminds me a lot of, of P.J. Tucker. And I think he could take advantage. Once he gets comfortable with the NBA game, not saying right away, but he can take advantage of matchups. If you're playing small and he's playing the four, he can drag a guy out to three and either take the three or dribble, penetrate, and make a play. If he's playing somebody at the three who's a little bit smaller than he is, he can abuse those guys down in the paint. He's good defensively. He's got great lateral movement from what I saw. He's not the best at contesting jump shots. He closes out a little weak. I think you can get him to be much better in that category. But Grant Williams is more a three than a four moving forward. Tremont Waters is my fourth guy. Floor general, basketball IQ, great hands. He had some moments of too much. When you go too much, you're trying to do too much, Tremont. Whether it was taking some shots that were ill-advised or driving into some traffic with no idea what he was going to do and getting caught. But overall... He showed that he can be a floor general. He showed that he has a high basketball IQ. He'll find the right guy at the right time. Some of his shots that he took, they were late in the shot clock. He had to try to bail out some dudes. So I think when you watch him, the moments of too much you can live with because they're few and far between. In all the other moments, he seems like he has a good idea of what the hell he's trying to do out there. Size is always going to be an issue with Tremont. That's not going away. That is what it is. But what he did in Summer League, you can see the potential. And Ainge had brought up when they drafted him that he was in their top 30 on their big board. You could see why. Very good defender. I mean, that steal when he jumped up and grabbed it with both hands like a wide receiver in the red zone and then bounced it between his his legs to finish the play, that shows you the potential. The size is always going to be an issue, but Tremont Waters looked to me like a guy who could be an NBA guard. Not a starter, but a, a, a maybe a backup at the height of his play, but most likely a third guard. He, he seemed to be somebody who could play at the next level. Next guy is Taco Fall. Better than expected. Less blocks, I thought, than he was positioned for. I can't tell you how many times I thought that Taco was in perfect position to just swat a dude and somehow, some way missed it. But he does block some shots. 
I don't want to say he doesn't rim protect. He does. But I thought he was in position to block even more shots, and he was a little awkward at times. He's got much better footwork than you would ever imagine at his size. There was a, a defensive play where he was going against the small, and which, you know, everybody is pretty much small to taco. But he was able, I mean, he got down, and his bend at the knees, and his defensive posture was fantastic. In his lateral movement, he shut the guy down three or four different times. Going left, going right, going left. That's very tough when you're seven foot six, seven foot seven, and three hundred pounds. He moves better. He he has better agility than you would ever guess. I still think he's awkward and raw at times, which you should expect. And I believe that he's an experimental guy, a two-way guy. Maybe two, three years down the road. Let's not forget. I think he's 24 years old. That's something else to think about. Kyle's looking it up. My executive producer, Kyle Hightower. I think he's 24. Kyle, you can let me know if I'm right or wrong on Taco? that. Taco? Yeah. He's 23. He'll be 24 in December. Okay. So he's he's a few months away from 24. Always remember that, which brings me to my next guy, Javante Green. A lot of people thought that he showed out, and he did. He reminded me of Tony Allen. That kind of game. Not, not the best jump shot, but something that eventually could become somewhat effective. A good defender. The same size as Tony, kind of. The same offensive game when when Tony was young with, with the slashing and the finishing and the athleticism. Here's the problem. I'm talking about a younger Tony Allen. I'm talking about when Tony was drafted. Javante Green's 26. He's played overseas. He's playing against a bunch of guys who are wet behind the ears. That's probably as good as you'll ever see him be. So remember that. Last guy is Max Struss. All I got to say is he's a wing. He's got good size, and he showed that he can shoot. Interesting prospect. A guy that could fill it up, I believe. And somebody that you could see be on an NBA roster, maybe as a 13th, 14th, or 15th guy. Again, he's on a two-way. We'll see how he works out. So that's what I thought. I thought Edwards was clearly the best player. Robert Williams had a very good tournament, which is great to see. Uh, He could end up getting some minutes for this team this year, so you needed to see that step. Unlike Gershon Yabuselli, holy shit, thank God that guy's fucking gone. The only thing I would say is this. I'm disappointed that Ainge couldn't pull a rabbit out of the hat and trade Yabuselli for something, even a second-round pick. The fact that they had to wave and stretch that dude pisses me off. But my God, he's miserable. And he might be a great guy. He's a fun personality. The dancing bear, blah, 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 blah. It took him. It took him how many games? It took him like three games to score his first hoop. In the summer league. He never got better. He got bigger. (laughs) But he never got better. So you needed to see that step by Robert Williams. And he showed that to you, which was good. Grant Williams showed you enough to feel pretty good about him. Tremont Water showed you enough. I think overall you look at this class and you feel good through the summer league. No guarantees. It's the summer league. But they didn't puke on themselves. And they played better than a lot of the other guys on the floor. So you should feel good. And let's not forget that Romeo Lankford did not play because of that thumb injury. And he has probably the most potential out of all of them. So we'll see what happens with that. Moving on, 
Cattle's on Causeway. Follow us on Twitter at Causeway Podcast, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. So now where we're at with this roster is pretty interesting, right? With no trades, if, if no trades happen, and I think it's difficult to make a trade happen now because there were no sign-and-trade deals uh, with uh, Brooklyn, no sign-and-trade with Philadelphia. They had the sign-and-trade with Charlotte. I have no idea how they got a second-round pick from Charlotte. Uh, Terry Rozier is making out on that deal. The Celtics get Kemba Walker and a second-round pick. And the second-round pick in 2020, that's nothing to sneeze at. Remember, the Celtics have the first-round pick of Milwaukee next year. They've got their own pick next year. They might have Memphis's pick. Hopefully not, but they might have Memphis's pick next year. And now you have Charlotte's second-round pick. Charlotte might be one of the worst teams in the league. They should be. They could be the worst team in the league. So you see Carson Edwards get picked at 33. Don't sleep on that Charlotte pick. That could end up being anywhere from, you know, 31 to 35 in the second round. You can actually get a decent player. So the Celtics land Kemba Walker, and they get a little bit of a lottery ticket in that second round pick. And if you don't keep the pick, maybe you trade it elsewhere. But you've got to match money, which is difficult. It's difficult to do without Yabu Sele now, as I said. Uh, I found this interesting. This came out yesterday. The Celtics rescinded uh, Daniel Tice's qualifying offer so they can use up the remaining cap space that they have, which is about $1.1 million. Now, whether or not that money is going to be used for a rookie like Tremont Waters on a multi-year deal, and then that would open up the possibility of signing Javante Green or Taco Fall on a two-way, I don't know if I'm sold on that just yet. I don't know if you would sign Tremont and Waters. I don't know if you would make that move and have four point guards. I think the C's are set with point guards. You know, I don't know if they'd use that 15th roster spot for a fourth point guard. So I'm wondering if there's something else going on here. I know uh, Danger Cart on Twitter, great with the salary cap. Uh, He mentioned the whole rookie idea that it might be a rookie or it might be a guy who's a one-year vet that the Celtics are looking at. Uh, He also expanded upon that this morning saying it could end up being a vet minimum guy. So I'll talk about that in a couple of minutes, but that's just something to keep in mind as the C's have 14 roster spots. There's one spot left. This is what you're looking at. Point guard, Kemba, Smart, Wanamaker. Shooting guard, you've got Jalen Brown. You've got Smart. I think you play Marcus Smart at the two when Kemba's in the game. Then you can slide Marcus to the one when Kemba's out, and you can play Edwards at the two because then you have Smart being able to defend the two, but Edwards having the ability to play the one on offense. That you know that that two guard lineup with Edwards and with Smart, I think, could work in certain situations. I don't think you're playing Edwards at the one exclusively, and I don't think that Edwards would play the two when Kemba's out there because that backcourt is very small. So I, I think that's how it would work out. And you also have Romeo Lankford at the two slash three. Small forward, and I know positionless basketball, I'm just going old school here. Small forward would be Hayward, Shimmy Ojale, and Grant Williams. As I mentioned, Grant is a three more than he is a four, so Grant would be the third guy behind Ojale and Hayward at the three. At the four, you've got Tatum, you've got Daniel Tice, who would be the backup four. 
You have uh, Enos Cancer, who can play some four if you go with a big lineup. If you go with a really big lineup, you can easily play Cancer at the four. And then you have Williams in a small lineup at the four. So Tatum, Tice, Cancer, when you go big. Uh, Grant Williams, when you go small. And at center, you've got Cancer as your starter. Williams as your, your two guy. And Vincent Poirier. Here's the thing that's very fascinating about Vincent Poirier. You might not know anything about Poirier. I've watched the YouTube videos like all of you. I don't know if he's going to be great. I don't know if he's going to be the drizzling shits. But what I will tell you is this. The Celtics signed Poirier to a two-year, $4.65 million deal. A lot of people thought he was going to get the minimum. That's what the C's did with Wanamaker. That's what they did with Shane Larkin. That's what they did with Tice when he initially came over. They gave Poirier some money. So I believe that tells you they think Poirier could get some minutes. That tells you that Danny Ainge and Austin Ainge and everyone else, they believe that Poirier is an NBA player. Not just the guy that you take a flyer on who could work. You give him that kind of deal, they could have used that space. They could have used that money on anybody else. You give Poirier that kind of contract, you're indicating to me that you think he's someone to watch and somebody that's going to play this year. So that's how it all breaks down. I see two big needs for this team right now, okay? Veteran depth at the 3-4 position. That is a need. Now, I don't say 2-3 because Hayward can play the 2 if he needs to. So I think Hayward's ability to play multiple positions and Tatum's ability to play multiple positions, that secures the 2-3 spot. I'm more looking at that 3-4 because you don't have a ton of shooting there. And I think that's what the C's need right now. As far as bench, 3-4, a guy that can come out and shoot. More More wing than power forward but a guy big enough to play some minutes at the four if you need him to. And a guy that can hopefully shoot the basketball. That's the one thing I'd say about the 3-4 position in a need. Second thing I would say is the Celtics are either going to need Robert Williams to develop or they'll need Vincent Poirier to be a defensive find. If Williams stops chasing blocks, as I mentioned moments ago, If Poirier is a defensive find, if one of those two things happen, you could survive with your interior defense. If Williams does not take that step, if Poirier is not good defensively, you're going to be a sieve on the interior. So I would say veteran depth at the 3-4 position, a shooter would be nice. And then you've got to hope that one of those two big guys, Williams or Poirier, We'll be able to play some defense and block some shots. Here are some other questions to ponder. Got a few more minutes here. Just some questions that I I, I wonder. I'm looking at this roster last night, and I'm going through my brain what it tells us. With Tice getting, once he re-signs with Bird Rights, with Tice getting two years, $10 million, and with Poirier getting two years, $4.65 million, both those deals are are larger than we expected. I don't think it's crazy to believe that Robert Williams 
is being showcased. I don't think it's nuts. I'm not telling you it's a guarantee. It's just a question I have. With the Poirier and the Tice contracts being bigger than we expected, does that mean one of those bigs are expendable? It's either the Celtics could be showcasing Robert Williams for a deal down the road, or it's just simply they're throwing a bunch of big guys against the wall and hoping a couple of them will work. Or the third option is that they sign those guys to bigger deals to eventually deal those guys down the road because it's easier to accumulate money to bring in somebody who is a difference maker. It's one of those three options. I don't know. But I do think the idea of Williams possibly being showcased, the Celtics, like if you read anything out there right now, everything is the world of positivity when it comes to Robert Williams. His leadership is is getting better. His basketball skill is getting better. You know, this, that, the other. Usually when you start to see those things, it means that, yeah, he's legitimately going to make a stride or the team is trying to get that stuff out there to make him look even better on the market. Same idea. Is Jalen Brown safe? Now that most moves have been made, do you consider Brown safe? Ben Simmons just signed five years, 170. Jamal Murray a couple of weeks ago got a big-time fat extension. You think Ainge wants to pay Brown that money? Do you think with every kind of deal that we see like that, that it's less likely Brown stays because Brown's market might be out of range next summer? I don't know if Brown's going to get traded. I don't know if he's going to get traded before the season tips off. What I would tell you is this. I would not be surprised if Jalen Brown is traded by the trade deadline. If somebody told me that, I would not be shocked. The other thing I'm thinking about this roster is Romeo Lankford. Compelling. We don't know much about his game at the NBA level because he didn't get to play in the summer league. We don't know how much we should make out of his only year at Indiana because he had the ligament damage that he needed surgery for. He played through that. We see him taking shots with, you know, ping pong paddles on his hand. He's trying to make sure that he's using his guide hand in the right way. Don't really know what to think of Lankford as we get ready for preseason basketball. I mean, this would have been his shot, right? And and it's kind of crazy because when you look at this roster, you could make the argument that Lankford will end up, quote-unquote, redshirting his rookie year, or you could make the argument that he's actually going to play 10 to 15 minutes a night. You could see him doing either one of those things. So it'll be compelling to watch where Lankford lands and what they have planned for him. Last thing I want to talk about here on Cattles on Causeway, again, follow us on Twitter at Causeway Podcast, Nick Cattles from ESPN Radio. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on SoundCloud. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Nick C Radio. Again, it's at Causeway Podcast for just the podcast. Kyle Hightower, executive producer. Here, here's the last thing I want to say before we say peace out for a little while, unless some news breaks. I'm keeping an eye on these vets. You know, if if it is indeed the case that the Celtics are going to use that space for a vet, I've got four names for you right now. Think about the needs I, I talked about a few minutes ago. The defensive find, an energy big, somebody who, who can do some different things. Kenneth Farid, 
in Joakim Noah. Now, Noah is getting looked at by overseas teams. I haven't seen anything about Fareed. Those are two guys that I think could fit. For the three-slash-four spot and guys that can give you some shooting in those spots, former Celtic Jonas Jarepko is out there. Would not be shocked if they brought him back. Good team guy. Can play the three-slash-four. Can knock down some open threes. He knows the system. Stevens loves him. Would not be shocked if it's Jarepko. Here's another guy. And maybe I'm just hoping against hope (laughs) because I've always loved this dude for, you know, 20-plus years. Vince Carter. I think Vince Carter would be a perfect fit for this team. He's a very good leader. You want to talk about culture. He brings it to a team. You want to talk about somebody who's just steady and another guy who could be there with, you know, Hayward to help out with Brown and Tatum's development. A guy who truly gets it. He's not going to lose his mind if he gets 10 minutes or five minutes. He's not going to lose his mind if he goes a game or two without playing. He'll be ready in a situation if you need to play him 15, 20 minutes. He can still shoot. He knocked down, I I think, 38, 39% of his threes last year for Atlanta. So he can still shoot the three ball. And he's the sized guy that you're looking for. He can play the three, but he can also play the four because he's a bigger dude. I love the idea of Vince Carter on this team. Love it. I think he would be the perfect fit. So those are four guys. Jarepko, Carter, Joakim Noah, Kenneth Fareed. If, and it's a big if, we don't really know. But if the Celtics are looking at a vet guy, those are the four names on my radar. If they go with a guy who's been around for a year, if they go with a rookie, who knows what the hell they're going to do. Maybe they do sign Tremont Waters and use the 15th spot on him. I find it unlikely. I don't know why you would need Kemba, Marcus Smart, Brad Wanamaker, and Tremont Waters on your roster. I don't know why you would use four of the 15 slots on the point guard position. You could argue Smart is not really a point guard. You know, you could argue this or that. You've got four or five guys that could play the point guard or the point guard-ish position with even Carson Edwards if you want to throw him in there. I think it's going to be a fun team, and we'll continue to break the team down if any moves happen, anything else happens in the NBA. It will happen right here on Cattles on Causeway. I do think this is going to be a fun team, and I think it's going to be refreshing to watch these guys play after what happened last season. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Kyle Hightower, executive producer, thanks to him. Follow us on Twitter at Causeway Podcast. Listen, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Until next time, Cattles on Causeway, Nick Cattles, ESPN, that's ESPN Radio. We'll catch you. Deuces.